HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Welcome to Eat Your Heartland Out, a show about the intersection of food and culture in the American Midwest. Thank you for listening to one of our five special episodes in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. This episode spotlights cheap stewards who are upping the food game aboard Great Lakes freighters. Meet two chefs who are combining culinary creativity with a personal touch to create tasty menus for hardworking freighter crews. Matt Dillinger is one of those chefs. He's the chief steward aboard the Mark W. Barker. Classically trained with a culinary degree, Matt enjoys seeing the crew on board get out of their comfort zone and try new food. Matt will be joining us later in the program. So right now, I want to welcome Catherine Schmuck. Catherine is a Canadian restaurateur and cookbook author who left restaurant life behind to be a galley steward. She's also known as the Ship to Shore Chef. Catherine, welcome to the program. Hi, it's nice speaking with you this morning. Well, we're happy to have you. And I just, um, I, you know, when I started to do research on this, I don't know how I came across not just your story, but the story of, you know, people that are cooking on freighters uh, in the Great Lakes. You know, I think oftentimes, you know, when we're on the shore, you see these huge boats out there, uh, you know, doing hard work, you know, shipping, you know, coal or iron ore or whatever it might be. And maybe people don't recognize that there's a whole city basically on these ships, crews that need to be fed. And that is, you know, by and large what you do. But how does one get into this line of work? Um, it's, um, I got into sailing um, quite a while ago after high school in 1981. But I just want to comment on what you were just saying. I get so many people that, that tell me that they love watching ships and never thought that there was a community on board or a family mm -hmm. or that, yes, we eat too, you know? So yeah. that I just wanted to comment too. It's like so often people don't think about what's going on, what's, you know, behind the scenes. And it, and it is interesting, but I got involved. I lived, um, I'm from Brockville, Ontario and uh, lived not far from the uh, St. Lawrence River and watched these ships go by. Mm. And um, when I graduated high school, I had not decided what I was going to do, so my sister and I were going to make a trip to Europe. 
Um, I met a gentleman at my job. I was working in a family-run um, uh, motel restaurant bar, and he used to come in the afternoon, and he said, so what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I'm going to travel to Europe. And he said, well, do you want to make a lot of money and have a lot of vacation? And I was like, I'm 19, yes. <laughs> so he told me he was a sailor, and he um, he talked about, you know, working on these freighters and that they were looking for people. And I was like, oh, that sounds so exciting. I love to eat, love, hadn't done a lot of cooking, but love to eat. <laughs> and my mom was a great cook. So I thought I can do that. So I went home to tell my parents and um, my sister, Lorraine, who's a year and a half younger than I am. She goes, if you're going, I'm going. So we both joined um, the Seafarers International Union. Um, it was a nine week training course, but they mm. were in such such desperate demand for people that they shipped us out within two weeks. And that began my sailing career in 1981. Wow. Um, and it's uh, been quite a road between then and now. So when in your training uh, with the union, did you get trained just about kind of the operations of um, the ships or did, did you also get, um, you know, any kind of basic culinary training, too? We didn't get a lot of um, of training because the course what, we didn't do the whole course because they needed people. So it was just very brief and just kind of, it, it, when I look back, it it was much stricter when the actual, when I actually got on the ship and I was like, mm -hmm. oh no, this is really nice. You know, like this is um, more of a family and it wasn't as, you know, what, what the idea that we thought we were going to um, experience. But what it was like, I loved sailing from the moment I got on the ship. I was mm -hmm. like, my sister went on a different ship. I, my first ship was the uh, um, Canada Steamship Line, the Frontenac. I loved it from day one, you know, and I, and I always say that like, it was the attraction of, wow, money and holidays and vacation time that got me to the ships, but it was a love of ships that kept me on the ships. Like I just enjoyed it right away. And I learned the job on the ship. Mm -hmm. I, I shipped out as a night cook and that was fairly easy. It was short order, like hamburgers, hot dogs, things like that. So it was fairly easy to, uh, to kind of learn it on my own. Sure. What made you love it so much? Um, the adventure of going somewhere. Um, my mom and dad uh, immigrated from Germany. Um, my mom was 20 and my dad was 24. And I think adventure is in our DNA. Mm -hmm. And just to go out and do something like that's exciting. And for sure, the water and being out on the water and the mystery of ships and going yes. places. And I just loved all of that right away. You're so right about the mystery of ships. I mean, they, you know, they they are like these dots and, you know, in the horizon. And as we had just discussed, you know, people don't really know what really goes on in these ships. And, and certainly um, it doesn't really cross folks' mind that there is a, a whole group of people that need to be fed and stay on the boat for, you know, extended periods of time, which brings me to a, a question that I definitely want to ask you. What is the longest period of time you've gone um, out to sea, or at least not being home, not being home or like being in port is one thing, but just literally not being back home. 120 days. Wow. Wow. Working every day, working every day. And I'll be honest, when I finished that, I was exhausted. <laughs> I, was I, like... I bet.
Yeah. What happened with that? Why it, it went to 120 days? Because normally you do 90 days max. Um, I had been promoted from second cook to chief cook. Mm-hmm. So I had finished my um, second cook um, um, 30 days and then got the three months as uh, chief cook. And then sometimes, not sometimes, but usually at the end, um, when we lay up in the winter, you stay on for a couple of weeks while they do some work, um, some maintenance on the engine. So that's mm-hmm. how I got to uh, 120 days. Sure. Now, what are the differences between being a, you know, a, um, the, from the night cook to the second cook to, to that promotion, um, you know, as, uh, one of the, the top person, uh, and, and I think you even, we served as a, as a porter at some point. What, what do these different terms, uh, and these different job titles really mean, uh, in practicality? Well, I, I started as a night cook. And these jobs don't exist anymore. Like hmm. that—that's the one thing. And um, it—the night cook worked um, from eleven thirty at night till seven thirty in the morning. And um, for the the guys that were going on the crew that were going on watch at midnight, I would prepare um, sandwiches or light meals um, for them before they started work at midnight. And then the 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 watches are twelve to four. They're four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, four-hour watches. So then in the morning at 3.30 to 4.30, I would make breakfast for the guys starting at four. And then for the guys finishing at four, if they wanted something to eat before they went to bed, I would do that. And then at the end of my um, morning, I would go, this is back in the day, this is in the early 80s, 90s. um, Then I would go and I was in charge as night cook to um, clean the uh, second engineer's room and the um, uh, first, uh, first mate's room. This has all changed. And the um, second cook, I did that position as well. That was um, working days and helping the uh, chief cook. There are still second cooks on certain ships. Mm -hmm. Uh, Porter position, that was a day shift. I would start um, in the morning at 7 o'clock and um, do dishes. And then I was in charge of uh, four rooms to take care of. Um, when I was second cook, I should mention, I was in charge of taking care of the captain's room and the chief engineer's room. Mm-hmm. And then the chief cook is in charge of like taking, um, managing the galley, ordering and doing um, lunch and supper. The second cook was at that uh, time in charge of doing breakfast. So this, the porter position does not exist anymore, nor does the uh, night cook. But when I was sailing in the early 80s and 90s, I did those positions. And in 1988, I um, I said to the captain, I was second cook on the uh, Louis R. Damere, And I said to the captain, I was serving him because the captain and the chief engineer were served their meals in the captain's dining room. And I went in one day and I said, oh, you know, like I purchased a set of knives. I'd love to go chief cook. And he said, oh, really? And I said, yeah, you know, I'd love to. I had never made a pot of soup before or (laughs) cooked a chicken or done anything. But I love to eat. And I thought, like, how difficult can it be? Right. (laughs) So so, I told him that two (laughs) weeks Well, well, it it wasn't as that difficult, but it was just like, you know, I was young and just like ambitious. So, you know, when I look back at it now, I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, because I was would then be in charge feeding 30 guys. But two weeks after I I said that to the captain, he said, "Um, are you still interested? And I said, absolutely. So um, I, I said I would take the job and 
what happened? Like there was, um, it, it's a union, like we go through the union and um, one of the, the night cook that was on that particular job at that time, her friend was at the top of the board at the union hall. So she was really upset that I accepted this position. So she kind of threatened me and I thought, okay, you know what? I don't need this. So I, I um, told the captain, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want this chief cook job. And luckily, he went further and asked a friend of mine, like, why did she not accept in the end? And he said, you know, she's afraid of this other girl. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is back in the day. The union was a little bit rougher back then. And uh, the captain said, listen, this is just silly nonsense, you know, because I'm a non-confrontational person. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I said, I would like this job. And I'm so grateful that I kept the job and it was fine. Nothing happened. But, you know, it was just kind of that, you know, I was young and it was just like, you know, naive. And uh, I was so grateful that I went back and said, no, I'm going to do this job. And I stayed there cooking for uh, five years. Wow. Um, and, you know, what was your experience as that chief cook, um, you know, developing menus and, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about your experience uh, today and how it's changed. But back then, um, you know, what kind of creativity or latitude did you have in um, getting ingredients onto the ship and, and then creating meals for the crew? I was um, always pushing the envelope a bit about what I was making. And I did introduce new foods at that time, like chicken enchiladas or things that I like to eat. And I had collected, I had a collection of cookbooks. So every morning I would come out with like five cookbooks and there'd be a little piece of paper in like, you know, how to make gravy, how to do this, how to do that. But I was able to do that because I loved, I loved to eat and had a lot of experiences with food. So, and getting those ingredients really wasn't that difficult. We were able to order every two weeks. We got our our groceries. I was working with a second cook and a porter and they were helpful. One thing I learned very early on was to trust myself, like trust my own instincts. Because I remember um, being chief cook for like a, a couple of weeks and uh, the porter came and I said, oh, what does the chief engineer, does he, is he liking my food? And she said, he wishes that you would stop putting so much salt in your food. And I said, well, I get the second cook to try it every time before I serve it. She said, have you ever seen the second cook eat? And I said, no, not really. She said, <laughs> she salts everything before she eats it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And after that, I just, that was such a huge turning point for me. I was like, mm -hmm. trust yourself. And I do now. And I think that was that was an important part. And I think the other thing that was important was there's many different cultures and people on the ship. Sure. And you, I always made sure to go through a little mental list of the crew and make sure that I had something for everybody. Like if I was trying something new, like curry or something, make sure you have something neutral or, you know, um, something that the other people, you know, who don't want to try something new would enjoy. So that was right. a, another important part. Right. I mean, you really have to take a lot of different things into consideration because, you know, as we've been saying, this is this is people's home. This this ship is people's homes for 90 days. And so you want them to be comfortable and you want their, uh, you know, food preferences to be um you know, reflected whether, you know, they're, they're cultural or dietary or whatever they may be. Um, and so I can only imagine just how many, 
Um, how much work went into getting to know all the different members of the crew and crew changes too. Um, and then life changes. And, and so you were, uh, you know, on board for what, 13 years, and then you decided to come back to shore. Um, but you kept your love of food, right? Oh, absolutely. I was, um, um, always going to be in the food industry. And even before I joined the ships in 81, I was working in the, the, the hotel, um, um, motel and was involved around, you know, the service industry. So d- definitely in my blood. And um, while I was sailing, I still loved sailing, but I wanted to experience more. So I was 32. And uh, um, our parents used to always come to Iroquois Lock, which is like 45 minutes from my hometown. Mm-hmm. And when the ship went through the lock, they would come. And that was back in the day oh. when you could walk up beside the ship and we'd have these 45 minute conversations my parents would always bring three dozen donuts for the crew because my um, my mom always thought if i do something nice for them maybe they'll be nice to my daughters so i i yeah so and they would always bring my mail so when they brought some um my mail one particular time there was a flyer in there and uh, Lorraine and I had been skiing at Montremblant and in there was a flyer about Montremblant and it was talking about a pedestrian village and restaurants and walking through the ski village. And I thought, wow, that would be a really cool place for a restaurant. So the next phone, and this is back in the day, no cell phones, no no internet. Right. And I thought, when I get to the next port, I'm going to call this number about, the, the, the flyer was actually for selling condos. But when they were describing the, the restaurants, I thought, I'm going to try and find out how do I, you know, how do I find out? Can I open something here? So the next place I got to was in um, Bowmanville. We were loading cement. We were there for 24 hours because... Working on a self unloader, you not only have to get into port, you have to get in there at the right time because sometimes you can be in and out in eight hours. So yeah. if it's throughout the night, you're not getting a chance to use the phone. And even when you do get to the phone, there could be like 15 people ahead of you and they're not just saying hi and bye. They're, you know, filling them in from the last two weeks or, you know, so timing was everything. But when you go to Bowmanville and you're loading cement, it's 24 hours. So I was good. I went to the phone booth. I picked the phone booth that I thought, you know, where my life could change. And I called them. And that's where that started. And I said, look, I'm interested. So they said, yes, we're starting to see people. And I said, well, I'm on a ship, but I'll be off in the next two months. And uh, I, I set up an appointment. And that's how that started. I, I want to be you when I grow up. I mean, you have so, so much gumption. Um, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of people that would, you know, get on a freighter boat at 19, ask for, you know, the, the big job and then, you know, see a flyer and say, how can I open up a restaurant? Um, kind of almost sight unseen. And and you've done all of those things. And, and you were really well established in Montreblanc, Quebec, um, which for folks that do not know is um, a a really... Um, adorable uh, ski community, but it also has, you know, things to do all year round, uh, kind of a resort town. Um, And um, you were there. So how long did you have your restaurant there in Treblant? Well, we were there for uh, 24 years and actually like following in the theme of like, look, I can just do this. Just give me a chance. When I had my first interview there, I went in and I met with the, um, with the person and, um, um, I said, 
I'd like to open a delicatessen. And he said, well, we already have a delicatessen. He said, uh, we're looking for a creperie. And I'm like, oh my God, I love crepes. Never had one in my life. And <laughs> then I said to him, I said, I said, so where's your favorite creperie? And he said, well, in Quebec City, um, there's a really nice creperie and we're, we're hoping for something like that. So I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. So after I left that, I went to a phone booth and I called my mom and I said, I'm not coming home yet. I am... Um, Lorraine and I had a house, uh, and we lived next door to our parents. Um, Lorraine is my younger sister, yes. who, who was also sailing at the time. I said, I'm not coming back yet. I'm going on to Quebec City. So I drove to Quebec City. I walked into the little creperie. I looked at it. I'm like, I can do this. So I went back um, on the ship and had a plan to just practice making crepes. And I did that. And the guys were like, you'll never make it. Like, why would people want these thin little pancakes? Because <laughs> they're meat and potato guys. Right. But I had a chief engineer, <laughs> a chief engineer from England. And he was very supportive. And he said, these are lovely. He said, they're great. So he was my cheerleader in that. So I put together um, a, a business plan. And when I got off the ship, I made my appointment at Tromlant right before lunch because I had all these pictures of food. And I thought they they have to be hungry. They have to see these photos and just say, yes, she's the one. And that's what happened. Incredible. Incredible. So and then fast forward 24 years and multiple crepes later, I guess. Did you expand off of crepes or was crepes uh, ending, ending up being your... Uh, you know, bread and bread and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a creperie that we had, but we definitely did like French onion soup, and then we introduced other items because as the years went on, the the different um, dietary, you know, like gluten free and sure. and so we had it uh, chili and we had um, um, salads, a great Caesar salad, and you know, all these, we had sandwiches. So there were things that we added to the, to the menu. And often it was something that we just wanted to experience ourselves and people loved it. And we did, um, um, homemade soups. So it was just really, we had a very good, uh, very good reputation and lineups out the door. Well, and, and you've been, um, featured on, Food Network and Canadian Living Magazine, and I think WestJet, which is one of the Canadian uh, airlines, one of their magazines as well, if, if I'm not mistaken. So you must have been doing something right to get a, a lot of those accolades and coverage. <laughs> yeah, and we were actually in the New York Times twice, too. And I was pretty wow. excited because the one article, they had gone to, um, um, like, from the New York Times, because we got a, we had a lot of... Um, um, people who came to the ski hill from New York and from Toronto and, you know, in the area. So when they did the article um, in the New York Times, um, in the first paragraph, the the journalist wrote, um, as we were driving away from Tromblant, looking in the rearview mirror, I asked my family, what was your favorite thing about the trip? And they said, the, um, our dinner at Creperie Catherine. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I'm in the New York Times. <laughs> Well, that, I mean, you obviously have worked incredibly hard for, um, you know, getting the spotlight on your work, but um, somehow the sea brought you back because you're you're back on a boat or you've been back on a boat for the last few years and um, away from, uh, you know, the, the brick and mortar restaurant scene. Yeah. And I when I left sailing in 1994 to open my own restaurant, 
I, I still loved sailing. I wasn't leaving because I was tired of it or I just wanted to experience more. I wanted to have a garden. I wanted to mm -hmm. have a dog. Like I wanted like things that you can't do as easily when you're on a ship. So I left sailing, still loving it. And when I have to back up, when I started sailing in 1981, my girlfriends gave me a little um, chef doll as a, a going away gift. So oh. the 13 years that I sailed, every port I went to, I bought more little chef figurines and chef dolls. And um, in different ports, every port I went to, or when I was on vacation and traveling, I, I bought these chef dolls. So when I opened my restaurant, I had this collection of 700 chef figurines that I displayed in this little restaurant. So every time people would mention the chef collection, and I often wrote on the back of my menu because I made my own menu, I wrote about being a sailor and that. People loved that. They were just like, wow, tell us about sailing. Oh, so I anytime bet. somebody asked, yeah, I was so excited to just like talk about it because I loved that so much. So we did the restaurant for 24 years and the restaurant life changed too. And a few things happened that we were just like, you know what? We're not having fun anymore. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I was 57. I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to go back on the ships. So uh, we closed our restaurant and in hindsight, we look back at some of the things, the challenges that we had. And we were like, thank heavens that happened because COVID came. And I was so grateful to already be out of the restaurant business when COVID hit. So we can look back at the restaurant life with fond memories. It was really great. We got out at the perfect time and I got back on the ship. I, I got on. I My first one was a tanker. I almost didn't take that job because when I was on a tanker, I think it was in the mid 80s, I was in a small hurricane and I was just like so petrified and so seasick. I was like, I don't want to go back on a tanker. But Lorraine was with me and she said, you can do it. So I joined the Algoma Hansa um, and I stayed on it for a year. And the first step when I got back on that ship, I felt so at home and I was just so happy. And I was the only cook because crew cuts were were the biggest change since I sailed um, and left in 1994. So now I was cooking for a little crew of 17 by myself, doing it all and just having the best time. How that well, it's, it sounds like, you know, going back out to uh, to the water was the right move for you. What else changed uh, in that period of time that you were, you know, off the freighters and in the restaurant? What changed outside of, you know, staffing levels and that sort of thing um, about the culture, uh, about and about your approach to food as well? For sure, like like you mentioned, crew cuts, um, security as far as being able to go ashore totally different experience. We used to like when we transited through the the Welland Canal, which is a series of eight locks, you could get off at one lock and jump back on in the other lock. And, you know, the freedom that did not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the um, the different cultures, a lot, uh, a lot more uh, diversity in the crews, definitely a lot more um, food allergies and uh, dietary needs that that was really uh, that was really changing too. Big, 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 big change. Um, technology. When I was I on bet. the ships in eighty-one to ninety-four, there was no computers. There was the oh, cell phones were just coming in. Computers were there, but they were just coming in as as well. So 
when I decided that I wanted to go back sailing, I was like thinking about and going through photos from when I sailed um, from 81 to 94. And I, I had forgotten a lot. And I thought, you know what, this time when I go out, I'm going to document it. And I'm going to, you know, take photos and I'm going to start sharing it on Facebook. And that's what happened. I started, you know, each night at the end of the day, I would um, write about my day and share photos of the the food that I made. And that was a lot of fun. And what I found then was that there was communities out there that were like, tell us more. We want to know more about this shipping. It's so much fun. And that's that's that was one of the biggest changes, too, was communication and technology. That's right. And so you you had this Facebook page that you created called the Ship to Shore Chef, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, and I started uh, just sharing with um, friends and family. It started just under my own name. But then that kind of like um, when I realized there were so many people that were interested, I thought, oh, okay. So then I uh, decided when I had the restaurant um, for 24 years, people were always, you have to write a cookbook. And I was like, yeah, I know, like one day, you know, but there's no time when you have your own business because right. you're working all the time. And I, we had 16 staff. So I was always busy with paperwork. And and mm -hmm. if not with the paperwork, working in the restaurant 16-hour days. So I never had time. But what the shipping industry provided was time and a lot of time. And working on a tanker with that particular ship, it was working 30 days on, 12 hours a day. Breakfast was at 5 a.m. Supper, uh, Lunch was at 11. Supper was at 5. So... I would do that, wouldn't have, I just did my little blog, but then when I had my 30 days off, I had all this time and I thought, you know what, I'm going to start working on my cookbook. And because I had so much positive um, feedback about my blogs and about shipping, I thought, I'm going to combine my cookbook and all the recipes that I've been using for the last, like since I started sailing, I'm going to combine that and do a cookbook with sailing. What is it like to be sailing? And that's that's when I started working on my cookbook, um, uh, Ship to Shore Chef, Recipes and Stories as I Sail Through My Day. It's such a fun idea. And I, I'm wondering if you have a favorite story that you might want to share with our listeners. Um, I think like... Um, I think the 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 ones that the one of the stories that people find quite interesting. I was in a um, in a in an accident on the ship. Um, we hit a mountain in the oh Saguenay River, and the Saguenay River is a fjord. So you've got these cliffs on each side of the river, and I remember getting on that particular ship um, in the Welland Canal. And, it, and I didn't feel comfortable. There was something about that ship, like, and I think that's what people don't realize. It to me, each ship has a personality mm -hmm. like it has like and a lot of these ships are old so there's a lot of stories and history and you know trips that they've made so I got on this particular ship and I was like I don't feel really comfortable here but I thought look it's 30 days just do your 30 days and you know you'll get another ship after that so we were going down and it was um, November and I thought oh man we're gonna roll when we turn to go into the Saguenay River and Rolling is never fun in the galley because something always spills and something always crashes to the floor. Mm -hmm. So we made the turn into the Saguenay River and I'm like, oh, cool. We're in the river. It's going to be smooth from here on in. We were going, I believe it was we were going into uh, Port Alfred. 
So I, um, I was just in the middle of um, serving. I was second cook, so I was serving the uh, captain. And I had a bowl of soup in my hand, and all of a sudden, there was this crash. And it's hard to explain, but it's like, you know, everything comes to a stop. But there was such a momentum when we hit the when we hit the mountain and right away the, the alarms are going off. And, and I was like, I turned around and everybody was gone. It went that quickly where everybody ran to their room. So I did too, got my survival suit, got my life jacket, my went goodness. to the muster station and, and, and all of these drills, we practice them once a month. So, you know, I knew where I had to go. I knew what to do. I brought it out. And the moment I stepped out on deck, and there was this rock wall. And I was like, oh, my God, like we've hit a mountain. So, you know, you, you go to the thing and you hear over the radio, okay, we've got water number one. We're checking number two. Like these are the ballast tanks where where the water is seeping in. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like this was. Oh. So that was my probably most scary, exciting. And the guys are like, oh, you can swim from there. I'm like, it's December or November. <laughs> it's like, so, uh, yeah, so it was that was my probably most exciting exciting um, um, trip. But but to me, each day has something wonderful. There's a gift in each day. And I just like just being out on the river or the water or the lakes. It's just, it's amazing. Well, you certainly have an inspired me, uh, at least to, to read your stories. Uh, if nothing else, uh, I don't know if I, you know, have, have uh, the guts that you do to get back on a boat after hitting a mountain. But, um, you know, you, uh, <laughs> you obviously have had uh, an incredible, uh, you know, lifetime uh, out there that has brought you um, full circle uh, back to the freighters, back on the Great Lakes, um, and um, let let our listeners know where they can learn a little bit more about about you and um, and your ship to shore chefing. Yeah, right now I um, I'm posting on uh, Facebook under Ship to Shore Chef, and um, I have. Um, my book is for sale, uh, Recipes and Stories as I Sail Through My Day. It's 280 pages. And I'm always so excited when people write and said, this is more than a cookbook. It's like, yeah. it's, it's like life on a ship. And, and it's, we had, um, I hired a father-daughter team to help me with the book, um, to get it from my computer to how to sell it. Like, how do you sell something? So we went with um, direct cons consumer sales through Shopify. And that was easy. And the the father helped us with that part. His daughter is a designer. I did the book myself. Like I'm, I'm self-taught. I, I used to make my own menus. I love working on the computer. So I made my book, 280 pages, full color. So his daughter was a designer and she looked at it and she goes, there's no blank spaces. There's no white. There's nowhere to breathe. And I was like, I fill my pages like I fill my plates. <laughs> they're <laughs> overflowing. They're, they're, I don't want room to breathe. You can breathe after. Like, I want you to open up these books and just see food and ships and color. And, and, and that worked really well. So the book is for sale online at shiptoshorechef.com. Um, since then, I've been selling that since 2021, June. Uh, we're over 5,000 books now. Um, I've written a children's book which I've wanted to do since I started sailing in oh. 81. Um, yeah, it's a children's book and it's about a stowaway mouse and oh my he gosh. stows away on the ship. And what, <laughs> what I did with that was I used all my own original photos and had an illustrator illustrate them. So there, there's fact in the book for kids. 
And that's just a really fun project. I'm really enjoying that. And I'm right now I'm working on another um, another cookbook, which is paleo inspired, um, no sugar, no flour. Um, you know, and, and those are things that I was encouraged to do for myself and for crew members who are, you know, diabetes. We're seeing a lot more right. of that. We're sure. seeing a lot more. Sure. We need to be careful. So, yeah, so that's the next project. And I have so many beautiful pictures of ships that need to be shared. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next, uh, Catherine. It has been an incredible uh, honor to speak with you and to share your story with our listeners. Um, I love the fact that, I, you know, you you fill the pages like you fill your plate and I can see that you and hear um, the the enthusiasm that um, that fills every word that that you've shared. So thank you uh, for for joining us and good luck out there on the high seas. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, As you can see, I love talking about food. <laughs> I love talking about sailing. You and me both. You and me both. And I know our listeners um, love to hear about it as well. So thank you. Thanks so much. It's time for a quick break. But when we come back, I'll be joined by Matt Dillinger, the chief steward aboard the Mark W. Barker. Forever Cheese, a leading importer of cheese and specialty food, has sourced exceptional products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia for 25 years. Offering a wide selection of artisan cheese, charcuterie, nuts, crackers, preserves, and more, their products are sold in stores nationwide. Forever Cheese seeks out the best of the Mediterranean and focuses on sharing stories from their family of producers. Each product has a unique story, and their goal is to celebrate each one. From Drunken Goat to Genuine Fulvi Pecorino Romano, Mostarda to Mitica Marcona Almonds, and Duya to Jamon Iberico, Forever Cheese is proud to offer products they love from people they believe in. Their passion, quality, and range are unmatched. Learn more at forevercheese.com and look for their products in a grocery store, restaurant, or specialty food shop near you. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. This is a special program in conjunction with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. We're talking about chefs aboard freighters on the Great Lakes. I was just speaking with Catherine Schmuck, a.k.a. the Ship to Shore Chef. Say that fast three times. But now I'm joined by Matt Dillinger, the chief steward on the Mark W. Barker. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I know how busy your schedules can be, and uh, so it really, you are actually um, on the boat right now as we speak, right? I am, yes. So so can I ask where you are in, in the world, in the Great Lakes? We are actually outside of Detroit right now, just north of downtown. Aha. Aha. Well, that's, that's good to know. Uh, hopefully... Uh, the folks of Detroit will be hospitable to, to you and the boat as, as you are uh, around there and in port. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, the boat itself. And then I obviously want to, because I want to paint a picture of kind of where you are, since this is audio and, and uh, not television, give, give our listeners a sense of, um, you know, the size and scope of the vessel that you're on. Absolutely. So, uh, we are the uh, newest ship on the Great Lakes. Um, just uh, finished uh, building and commissioned last uh, September, uh, give or take. And um, we're about uh, 640 feet long, I believe, uh, 78 foot wide, 
Uh, we have approximately 28 bedrooms on board, um, mm -hmm. currently with about 24 crew members. Um, and, uh, yeah, we are a, uh, self unloading, uh, bulk cargo carrier, uh, which would include, uh, uh, the materials, uh, would include like iron ore, um, stone aggregates, uh, salt to different municipalities, uh, occasionally mm -hmm. maybe some grain and, uh, other things of that nature. So it's, it's a hardworking vessel and you're feeding hardworking people on, on, on the boat. Um, how long are you usually out, uh, at sea or away from home at least? So a, a typical uh, stretch for us is usually between uh, 30 to 90 days. Um, we try to plan about uh, 60 days or so on board um, and then give or take 30 days off. Uh, obviously trying to plan around uh, family and uh, events and important events at home. Sure. That has to be, you know, a, a challenging um, balance that, that all of you on board have to find. Uh, and that's something that I, you know, I find just so interesting about speaking to those of you who work on these freighters, because, you know, we, I think as people on shore, if you will, right, you know, we know that, you know, these ships are out there and they're carrying big things like iron ore, but, you know, you don't necessarily think about what's going on in the boat. You kind of see it out in the, in the horizon and, you don't realize that, you know, there are 24 people that obviously are out there for long stretches of time and need to eat, um, which which begs the question, how does one, how does someone like yourself um, get into this line of work? It seems like it's a, a very, very specific. And uh, I, I, th I find it interesting how this becomes a career path. Tell me what led you into um, a career on on these freighters. Sure. So, um, honestly, uh, I, I had been pretty much working in kitchens or some form of food service, uh, since I was old enough to work. Um, I started out at 14 in a restaurant and, uh, around the point I was, uh, oh, 23, I think, uh, had a medical procedure and didn't have insurance. And so my brother was already out here. Um, yeah. and, uh, basically told me it was time to get a big boy job. And, um, so my first uh, go round on the ships was entry level as a deckhand, uh, and mm -hmm. it was my first real um, serious job away from uh, the food service industry. And uh, I did about three years uh, on board uh, as a deckhand, three seasons. And uh, in the midst of that, um, there was a time here and there where a cook got sick or something happened, and I had to fill in as a steward on board and. Uh, after three seasons, I knew that I was missing uh, being in a kitchen, so I had uh, mm -hmm. left and went to culinary school. And uh, after culinary school, I was working two full-time restaurant jobs and Ooh. not really getting ahead. And uh, the uh, the company, the same company, Interlake Steamship here, uh, reached out, uh, heard I had gotten a culinary degree and asked if I was interested in coming back to work in the galley department. And uh, that was... 2007 and uh yeah i've been been at it pretty much ever since in the galley that's incredible so did you start out uh as a chief steward because of your culinary degree or did you work your way up from a second cook um you know into that chief steward position 
Yeah, so I, I definitely did start out as chief steward. Uh, I think between the uh, the degree and the years of experience um, is probably what helped with that. Um, there are some that uh, start out as second cooks and work their way up, but uh, I was fortunate enough to start out as chief steward. That's great. So, so you know, what type of skills did you bring into the job? Having formal, you know, culinary training and working in the restaurant industry, you know, did that like kind of up your game, so to speak, in the kitchen, maybe comparatively to, um, you know, maybe what was what was there previously? I would imagine that having a culinary degree and being able to do a lot of different things, you probably have an opportunity to get really creative in the kitchen on, on board, right? Absolutely. Uh, it, it's uh, it was really interesting. Um, I also had the benefit of spending those three seasons on board as a deckhand. Um, so mm-hmm. I was familiar with the types of things and the routine of the galley um, and the types of things that the, uh, that the crews were interested in and in eating to begin with. Um, and we obviously um, have plenty of people that are very used to Midwestern meat and potatoes yeah. uh, type of diets. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm able to uh, attempt things a little bit fancier on a uh, somewhat regular basis. And, you know, it's nice to tell the guys, um, Hey, feel free to try it. You know, you're not, it's not paid for food. You know, you're not buying it at a restaurant. It's okay. If you try a little bit and don't like it. And uh, that's, that's really been nice to encourage you guys to step outside their comfort zone and try some of the different foods. And it's really expanded some of these guys over the years. I I can imagine. What have you, what have you, uh, kind of put on their plate that surprised them and they actually have tried out what has been a, what's been a hit and like what's been a miss <laughs> um oh man so um well it's really interesting i think uh fish was one at the, at the beginning uh we don't have a whole lot of fish eaters that are um seafood uh like like you know, the, they'll eat their lake perch and their walleye and such, but um, yeah, yeah. trying to do some uh, like pan seared uh, salmon or some halibut or different things like that uh, has definitely been challenging over the years. Um, there are times where uh, I've tried to put uh, my own seasoning rub or uh, blend on uh, things that has not gone over well. Uh, and I've had guys just tell me, you know, I just like salt and pepper. I want things plain. And um, <laughs> Specifically, I can't think of uh, a dish necessarily that I've tried that just was uh, overtly hated. <laughs> um, That's good. You definitely get some complaints. Yeah. But you get some complaints over the years, and then you kind of shy away from certain things. And um, I will say that with uh, as the crews get a little bit younger, and uh, the more technology we have, the more that people are in, um, exposed to the kind of foodie culture. Uh, yeah. I have guys that come to me uh, somewhat, you know, on a somewhat regular basis, asking about, uh, "Hey, have you ever seen this? Could you try making that?" Um, and it's a uh, it's nice to see that it's evolving out of the uh, typical what what would be a what it would have been a typical ship dinner scenario. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I, I can imagine it's probably a lot of fun to see folks uh, try some new things as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's <laughs> it's interesting to uh, to even just make the conversation. Uh, actually, yesterday yeah. uh, our soup of the day was borscht, uh, which is a oh. Eastern European, Polish, Ukrainian um, red beet soup. Yes, and, uh, those of us from from you know the Cleveland area uh, are familiar for sure. Sure. Uh, and I do have two vegetarians on board, so I try and mix oh. in a uh, at least once a week. I try and have a uh, vegetarian friendly soup. And so yesterday's was and one guy that eats soup every day was he looked at it and was like, what the heck is that? And so I, I you know, I did encourage him. I said, hey, man, you know, you're not paying for it. You might as well give it a try. At least I'd, I'd rather have you try it and throw it away than not try it at all. And so he actually did, and uh, I said, "Man, that was actually really good." I'm surprised, and so that was nice. It's cool when you get a guy that'll actually give it a shot. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That that is, so. What is what does your typical day look like? It, it, I can imagine there has to be a lot of planning involved, particularly when you have 24 or so crew members that may have different types of dietary restrictions, like being a vegetarian or maybe gluten-free. Um, what kind of planning goes into um, your your meals each day and each week? Yeah, absolutely. I That's uh, one of the first questions I ask when people come on board. Um, you know, do you have a food allergy, food sensitivity? Um, so beside the two vegetarians right now, I have a uh, – coconut allergy and a, uh, I think avocado allergy, honestly, um, which are pretty, pretty rare, uh, among the allergies that we experience. But, um, so you're definitely, uh, that's always in the back of your mind thinking about those kinds of things. Um, but you know, the more you get used to your crew, uh, the easier it is to, to plan your, your lunches and dinners. Um, there's usually really good communication with the other departments. So I know, um, if we're out on the open water, I'm going to have a busier lunch or a busier dinner hour compared to if we're at a dock, everybody tends to be a little bit busier. I don't have to be uh, quite as prepped out for lunch because I know it's going to be a little bit slower, um, things like that. Or I have to make up maybe a few cold cut sandwiches to have set aside for the guys that won't be able to make it in it, uh, during the lunch hour. Um, but definitely the, the planning process, uh, you know, I try to have my my dinner options in my head or on paper at least, you know, a couple of days in advance. So I'm making sure that I have all the meats and things thought out that I need for that day. How do you get your supplies, uh, particularly if you're, you know, do you load up um, only when you're in port or do you actually have a boat that comes out and delivers to you while you're at sea? Yeah, great question. So we actually have a, a few different suppliers. Um, the uh, the most interesting one probably, and uh, some of the people from northern Michigan are probably familiar with it, but um, at the Sault Ste. Marie Locks, uh, going mm -hmm. from the St. Mary's River up onto Lake Superior, there's yeah. a uh, it's Sault, Marie, Sault Warehouse um, that they have a little tugboat with a crane on it. And uh, so they'll come out. They come alongside, uh, they lift up whole pallets at a time, whether that's wow. only food. Sometimes we're getting barrels of oil for the engine room, but uh, that's the most interesting and um, probably the most heavily used. Uh, however, for us, we don't spend much time going on Lake Superior, at least not so far last year and this year. 
So we have a couple suppliers. Uh, our main one is Marine Market out of Alpena, Michigan. Um, and they uh, they load up a van and they come to us pretty much wherever we're at at a dock and bring us whatever we need. Wow. Um, and what? how do you... Um, you know, plan out your ingredients? I mean, do you kind of know, okay, I'm just going to have, um, you know, this amount of chicken, this amount of beef, whatever, here's the produce, X, Y, and Z, or are you thinking ahead like, well, you know what, I am going to try salmon or it's perch season. So I want to get perch, you know, what do you incorporate? um, You know, how far in advance do you need to plan some of those things if you want to get more creative with your meal planning, um, I would suspect you've got to think of that a little bit further in advance um, to get that stuff on board. Absolutely. Uh, so there are some times where uh, I'll find myself on the phone with with one of our suppliers. Um, I did Asabuco last year um, for the first time in many years. And uh it went over really well. The guys really liked it, but that was one where I had to call ahead and uh, just ask them, Hey, is, you know, is oxtail something that you guys have a regular supply for? Is it something you can get in? Do you need advanced notice? Um, so when inspiration strikes, um, and there's things that are not a regular item that I'm ordering all the time, I definitely try to reach out to my suppliers ahead of time. Um, as far as the, the rest of the ingredients, um, you know, we, you get used to how much uh, freezer and refrigerator storage you have, and you just try to uh, – the main point is to try and keep everything at, you know, at 75 to 90% capacity. Um, and, and then, you know, just rotating through things uh, as much as possible and, you know, just trying to keep it, uh, keep it interesting and unique and, and mixed up as much as possible. Yeah, I'm sure. And I would suspect that the crew appreciates that, you know, even though maybe they're not into all of the different things that you make, you know, the fact that you're taking the time and, you know, uh, making sure that they're well fed and, um, you know, have quality food on board has to make a difference, particularly when you're away from home for so long. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty good about, uh, asking guys uh i'll let them know hey if you got uh, a recipe from you know your mom your grandma your wife something um that you want me to try you know i'm, I'm pretty well versed i'll i'll definitely give it a shot it might not be exactly what you're used to but it'll be pretty close and <laughs> that's uh, cool you know and one thing about the diversity of the menu is uh sometimes i get away from some of the favorites and i don't think about it i'm trying so hard to keep the menu fresh and different that you forget about some of the favorites. And so once in a while, uh, guys will come up and say something like, hey, man, we haven't had spaghetti and meatballs in weeks or something, you know, and have to (laughs) remind me that uh, keeping it unique or different or fresh is nice, but we still want our favorites. So Totally, yeah. You want those creature comforts. There's nothing better than that comfort food. Uh, you know, particularly after a long day, I can definitely understand that. What time of day do you start and end your day, given the fact that the crew, I'm sure, is staggered throughout, depending on when you're in port or, you know, you, it might be the middle of the night, that sort of thing. But, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner it probably happens at the regular times that they would happen anywhere. 
Yeah. So my, uh, my daily routine is, uh, based off of an eight hour workday over the course of 12 hours. Um, so our breakfast hours are, um, seven to eight and that's cooked to order. And then lunch is 11 to noon and also cooked to order. And then, um, for dinner time, we have a steam table. Um, and I serve from about four 30 to five 30, but, uh, the food's in there. The guys can come for, you know, the next couple hours afterwards, uh, help themselves. But I'm usually out, uh, about six in the morning, work till about eight 30 or so, take a little break, uh, come back about nine 30, work till a little afternoon. And then I'm usually back out by, uh, by two 30 or so and, uh, work until about five 30, uh, end of dinner service. So, um, we do have some occasional, uh, times where, you know, if we get to a dock at, uh, you know, midnight, uh, and that's when groceries are showing up, that's when we're, that's when we're <laughs> up and at them to try and bring groceries on board. Um, and then, you know, aside from having the, uh, the dinner in the steam table for, for a few hours after dinner, um, uh, we also have, uh, a pretty extensive night lunch, which is several types of lunch meat and cheese and, um, snack sticks and granola bars and things of that nature for, um, you know, people that have happened to be working through the latest parts of the night and the early morning that, uh, have missed all the meals or a couple of the meal hours that day. That's great. You guys definitely have it covered. It sounds like for sure. Uh, what keeps you coming back? Uh, and, and, you know, you've been, on the ships there in, as a chief steward since 2007. That's a long time. What has kept you coming back, you know, with these long stretches away from home? Uh, what draws you to, to doing, you know, basically chef work, but on a, on a freighter? That's one of the, uh, one of the most common questions asked, I think. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a long answer. Um, when I first started out, I was constantly trying to find something else, get away from this job, uh, get back into, you know, a land chef job. Um, uh, but after a couple of years, um, the time that we spend home, at least for me, um, you, you learn how to maximize that time at home. And then the time spent out here, it's just almost the, the interlude, uh, to all the great times and the great memories that you're making at home. So, um, there's a little bit of selfish aspect to it. Um, it's the compensation is pretty much better than I could find anywhere else for this stress level job. Um, I'm sort of, kind of basically my own boss. I tell him I have, you know, 20, 20 some bosses on board because, if I'm not making the food they want, I'm obviously not doing the job well, but, um, there's some autonomy, quite a bit of autonomy with the job. The compensation is good and the time off, you know, there's no chef job out there where you're getting these chunks of time in the same manner that True. you get here. So, so the time spent gone, it, it really starts to, the longer I've been at it, the less the time gone bothers me because of how well I'm able to take advantage of the time home. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I bet that, you know, others on board probably think about it in a, in a similar way, you know, when you are uh, having to plan and, you know, really, as you said, maximize that time home, uh, you know, uh, it's, it sounds like, you know, you really are finding that balance, you know, with 
job satisfaction and compensation um, to be able to make the most of your time, you know, back at home and back on shore. Um, it's just, it's such, it's such an interesting, uh, job to me. And I'm so glad that I've had an opportunity to speak to folks like yourself and share these stories with, with our listeners and with the Great Lakes Now audience, because I really think that people are going to learn a lot. And, uh, I think it really excited about the fact that there's a whole world out there on these, on these freighters and, um, you know, you're helping bring those to life for, for folks that um, may have, have never, you know, considered it. And you might inspire somebody to, you know, go out there and um, join a ship and become become a chief steward themselves. So I want to thank you very much for taking the time to um, speak with me and share your story with, uh, with Eat Your Heartland Out and Great Lakes Now. Absolutely. It was an honor. I'm glad I could, uh, I'm glad I could be here for it. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking your time. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Eat Your Heartland Out in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. This is your host, Capri Cafaro, also a contributor to Great Lakes Now. Make sure that you check in next Thursday when we have yet another special episode, this time focusing on tourism in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can find these special Eat Your Heartland Out episodes on greatlakesnow.org, eatyourheartlandout.org, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like to see what it's like on a typical day for a galley chef, tune in to Great Lakes Now television show. Their May episode featured Sissy Payment, another chief steward on the Great Lakes. If you missed that episode live, you can check it out on Great Lakes Now YouTube channel or on greatlakesnow.org. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.